fascinating facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. A tremendous Tuesday to you. It's the 27th of February, 2024. Glad to be with you once more. This is The Kale Clark Show, live and in full effect on Relevant Radio. And here's the number that you can call to talk to me for free. It's our listener line, sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters, 888-914-9149-888-914-9149. Of course, you can also find me on the X app, formerly known as Twitter, at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And you can email the show, become a shadow producer, send me a link, send me a show idea. Love to hear from you guys. The address is Kale, C-A-L-E, at RelevantRadio.com. Well, we had such a, a deep show. I mean, really, really powerful phone calls yesterday as we were talking about what it means when people say these words, hey, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. We talked about some recent research from a psychological angle, really interesting piece in psychology today about really what's driving this from that perspective. Why, why do people leave the Catholic Church? Why do people leave any organized religion? Had some powerful phone calls. And in fact, we had so much to get through. We, we didn't actually get through it all. So later in the program, we will come back because I wanted to talk about part two of that discussion. What if somebody says to you, your belief in God is nothing more than a psychological crutch? This is very, very much related to the, the prior topic. Your belief is a crutch. You just need this concept of God to get through the vagaries of life, all the ups and downs, because you can't handle it. You're not equipped to handle it on your own. So you need your imaginary spaghetti monster in the sky, that sort of thing. You've heard these accusations before, and so have I. So how do you deal with that question? I've got some tips for you. So that's coming up later. But if you want to comment on that, grab a phone line right now, 888 9149. But right now, I'm really excited. If you, if you caught the, the tail end of the, of the uh, Drew Mariani show, which just aired prior to this one on Relevant Radio, I was on Drew's show for the last few minutes. We're kind of doing a home-and-home home series. Drew is in the studio with me now. And I, I feel like we should almost play the the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air theme song. <laughs> you know, in West Philadelphia, born... I don't know if you're from West Philadelphia, but you are from Philadelphia. You're not the, the Prince of Bel-Air, but you That's are... So funny. You are the Prince of Relevant Radio, at least the Prince of Lincolnshire, that's for sure. So, the Fresh Prince. So, so Drew, it's hot off the presses, and I, and I don't even think that you knew about this, apparently. What's that? As I just found out a few minutes ago, that, that not only is the National Eucharistic Congress happening this July, and we're, we're spending a lot of time on this today because we want people to go there, we want to provide a way for them to get there. We'll talk about that in just a second, but... The National Eucharistic Congress in Indianapolis. You are going to be one of the featured speakers, and I'm so excited about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm humbled by that opportunity. I'm, yeah, there's such intellectual giants that are going to be speaking, like uh, Father Mark Barron, Bishop Cousins is going to be there, Father Michael Schmitz. There's mm. wonderful. Uh, I had several guests on a little bit earlier today. Some incredible uh, nuns who've had great conversions or are serving the poor. The dynamic, the range of people that are, are going to be there and they're going to be speaking are straight across the spectrum. Patrick Madrid is going to be there. Father Rocky is going to be doing the address. Mm -hmm. so, I think everybody brings a little bit something. 
a little bit different to the table. I'm not quite sure what I'll be addressing yet. <laughs> I'll, I'll pray and let the Holy Spirit, you know, I guess guide and lead me, but uh, hopefully he'll use me in a, in a special way. One thing I do know is that those who come, they're going to be fed and fed in different ways. Mm. Uh, there'll be a lot of grace that's going to be given there. A uh, lot of, I, I said earlier in my own show, Kale, I, I think conversion is going to be the greatest fruit of this particular um, conference. Because I think when you are in front of the Lord like that, uh, when you when you bring your wayward spouse or that mm. child that's a little bit tepid regarding the faith, and they see so many people there before the Blessed Sacrament, when they hear the the music, when they see the fellowship, when they hear these different speakers talk about the reality <clears throat> that Jesus is truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist, it plants seeds and it transforms. And I'm telling you, it's going to be the event of a generation. So I'm glad you're with me. I'm glad you're going to be there. We get to hang out for a lot of days and we get to meet a lot of our spiritual family here. So it's going to be fun. I, I can't wait. I was joking with Drew on his show that, that he's going to treat me to a uh, a steak at St. Elmo's restaurant, which is a famous steakhouse in Indianapolis. Sounds but, good. But, but, but of course, the meal that we're really interested in talking about, of course, is that heavenly banquet, the Eucharist. And, you know, really, in the heartland of America, in Indianapolis, we're going to have the heart of our Catholic faith. Man, they should have hired me to write a tagline for this thing. Oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> You're in good. The heart... <laughs> you are. <laughs> well, well, thank, well, thank you, Drew. Appreciate that. So in the heartland of America, we're going to really experience this heart of our Catholic faith. It's the Eucharist. It's Jesus himself. And I think about, you know, you, you talked about in, in the 1970s, of course, there was a great Congress in, in Philadelphia. Yeah. You still recall from, from your younger days. And and something else that happened in the 1970s, of course, was Pope Paul VI commissioned a special team of scientists to look at that Eucharistic miracle of Lanciano in Italy. And they, they expertly dissected this living flesh. And they say, hey, it's from a heart muscle. Mm-hmm. Talk about the heart of our faith. Expertly dissected, it, blood type AB. It would have been nice if it was type O, the universal donor. It would have made for good homilies, but but that wasn't the case. It was AB. But this is this is reality. I mean, this is, this is absolutely Christ himself. He, he gives us this gift in the Eucharist. And let me, let me ask you this, Drew. Yeah. Growing up, yeah. was this ever a struggle for you to believe this? I... Uh... I got to be honest, I'm not a a convert to the faith or even so much a revert. I always had the faith. I always loved our Lord. You know, as as you grow up, your faith, maybe you're not as passionate as I am today. And, uh, you know, even fall away from it a little bit. But no, I mean, struggling, I mean, honestly, it takes faith. It, Mm -hmm. It does. But what I found as I began my own walk back to the Lord, or at least walking with him closer, mm-hmm. I would spend time in church. Um, when I graduated college um, and my own personal conversion really began, what I would do is I'd go to church for hours. I, I'd kneel, I'd pray my rosary before the Blessed Mother, I'd spend time in adoration. And when I did that, uh, it only sped me down this path to holiness. It only made me hunger for the Lord more. I mean, I'd wake up when I began to attend Mass daily, pray my rosary, spend time with him. It was almost... I don't want to say it's addicting, but it was kind of, I'd mm. wake up looking forward with expectations, like going to see a good friend. Uh, I fell in love with the Eucharist, and I could mm. feel something there. I, I would leave adoration with a sense of a presence. So I knew something's there. If you just look at the host, you're, you're thinking, oh, it looks like a piece of bread. But anyone who has had these Eucharistic encounters, any of these experiences, know that it's, it's, it's far more. Oh, man. And and you know what? In in my early years, too, when I got out of college, I actually traveled as a documentary filmmaker and um, was present for a Eucharistic miracle in South America where a host bled 
And I really? was probably, I didn't know this. I was probably I 25 or 26 at the time. And uh, that's why I was really going to the church all the time after that experience. <laughs> I was down, I met a mystic down in South America who's now venerable. And she had the stigmata. She had all the gifts of Padre Pio. But it was on December 8th, 1991, that a Eucharistic miracle took place in a place called Petania, Venezuela. There was a priest, his name was Father Oti Osa Aristastabal. And when he was mm. saying those words of transubstantiation, he was saying the word of consecration, and, and the host was, you know, when Christ was truly becoming present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist, he noticed the host began to bleed, and he thought in his mind, wait a minute, this is not bleeding. This My nose must be bleeding is what must be happening. <laughs> he checked his nose. He, he realized that, you know, all wow. of a sudden this thing is oozing blood. So he finishes Mass. He keeps most of the, the, the Eucharist in, intact and puts it in a monstrance. And I, we captured footage of this, uh, the monstrance literally just filling up with blood, right? The local bishop, Bishop Pio Bello Ricardo, he took it to a local forensic laboratory they had it analyzed, and guess what? The blood type, AB. The blood Same. type on the Stratotorn, AB. The blood type in most of these Eucharistic miracles, almost all of them, if I'm correct, <laughs> AB. I, I don't know why. I like your theory on, on O. I'm with you on that. <laughs> but, you know, that experience there was life-changing. And, you know, I, have, I had a friend who witnessed uh, Eucharistic miracles, and I think God in his mercy— um, pulls back those of us that sometimes have weak faith and says, I am truly present. These are some of those visible experiences, like the one in Lanciano that has survived the centuries and has defied scientific explanation. So those are the gifts. And that's why I fell in love with the Lord. I mean, I spent time with them. And like any good friendship, it grows deeper. Oh, I just love that. Blood type AB. Here's another A. It's not really an A. It's the Greek letter Alpha. You know, he is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He's the source and summit of our faith. That's what the Eucharist really is, our Eucharistic Lord. I mean, this is where it all stems from. It's Jesus himself. And this is really, truly the mountaintop experience as well. You can't get any closer to God without dying when you receive the Eucharist. And why not be there with 80,000 people just like you who are seeking the face of the Lord in Indianapolis this July? for the National Eucharistic Congress. And Drew, I'm going to bring in right now Josh Raymond as well, VP of Programming here at Relevant Radio. And Josh, it's so good to be here with you. And uh, of course, you're, you're kind of my boss. So when you said, hey, can I come on the show? It's like, well, I, I, I guess yes. You know, <laughs> how can I say no? But Josh, it's always a pleasure <laughs> to have you. It's always a pleasure to have you. And, and you've got some real, yeah, let's face it, the meat and potatoes of how can we get there? How can we get to Indianapolis? Yeah, well, you know, you and Drew had talked a little. I, I, I was listening to the end of his show, so I heard you talking about there's the limit on availability of hotels, and that that's really the practical matter here. That we didn't realize, you know, when Relevant Radio said, "Oh, let's let's block out some hotel rooms and make sure we've mm. got these available," and you know, at first it was. Well, maybe we can do them for, you know, different supporters, some of our board members, different things like that. But sure. we had enough that we realized, gosh, as more and more rooms were being taken and there were less and less available, well, we want to offer these for anybody who wants to travel with Relevant Radio because uh, Preston, our CFO, he and I were looking yesterday and in the Indianapolis downtown area, we could only find one room available. Drew, I told you this earlier today. Only one oh, room that we could find available. $1,300 a night, Kale. 
Yeah. And, and Kale, Josh pointed out to me that the rooms that Relevant has, I mean, they're in a great location. They're like downtown. So if you want to go to Adoration at night or attend mm-hmm. Mass or, mm-hmm. or hang out, you pretty much can walk over. Would you say, Josh, right, the yeah. bridge? It, yeah, the, the hotels are all connected to the convention awesome. center, either by a sky bridge or an underground walkway. So, yeah, yeah there's, there's the ability. It's within basically a block of the stadium. You're just right there in the center of everything. There are rooms that you can find in outlying areas. You might have to drive 30 to 60 minutes minutes into wow. Indianapolis to get in and that's still Park you know right that, yeah. yeah you you're you're going to have to kind of fight traffic you're going to have to look for parking every day so there are availabilities you know that you can find on your own but you're not going to be able to find I think anything that's as reasonably priced as what we are able to offer here and we've partnered with Nativity Pilgrimages so that uh, all your travel can just ba- basically be bundled up together, and there's a number of different options. If you go to our website, relevantradio.com, just on the homepage, you'll see where you can click for more information. There you can find it on our uh, our, our app, the Relevant Radio app, or the phone number that you can call to learn more. It's 844-400-9559. Again, that's 844-400-9559. Yeah, the, this block of rooms, this is this is absolutely your best opportunity. They're there for you, but they are limited in number. And, and Josh, let me also ask you this question. What do you think people will miss if they don't go? You, you know, I think, as you both, Drew and Kale, were talking about, this is going to be one of those things I think people will be talking about with their kids, with yeah. their grandkids, because it is a once-in-a-generation kind of uh, you know, opportunity here. But the, one of the things that I, I think most people might not realize, if you're familiar at all with the Eucharistic revival, it's a three-year uh, period that the bishops set up for us here in the United States. And I would have thought that this would have been the end of the Eucharistic revival. It all builds up to this great big gathering but that's not the case. This is actually only the second year that we're wrapping up and we're heading into the third year. So what will you miss out if you don't attend? You'll miss out on what we're really being called to do, and that's to experience that revival firsthand and take that renewal, that enthusiasm, and bring it back into our own home parishes, our back to our family and friends, to be able to be the evangelist. That's what year three, it's being sent out to help mm revive those around us that haven't been part of the revival yet. I, I like that. You know, Jesus had a three-year ministry. There's a three-year plan for this. Kind of concludes with us being sent, <laughs> just as Jesus sent out, of course, his disciples before he ascended into heaven. But he's still with us, of course. He said, I will be with you until the end of the age. And this is how this actually happens, of course, in the soul and grace, but also in the Holy sacrifice of the mass in the eucharist he's with us in every single tabernacle in the world but there is strength in numbers let's come together for this incredible incredible eucharistic encounter it's the national eucharistic congress july 17 to 21 2024 don't miss it it's the super bowl of the church it's the olympics (laughs) of the church it's olympics year however you want to say this we want to bring everybody together so that we can reach the nations, reach the people in our backyard, in the next cubicle, with the great news that Jesus is present in the Eucharist. Gentlemen, I I can't thank you enough for being here on the show today. And once again, Josh, can you just 
give the people that, that, that number to call once again and how to find out more information on our website and app. You bet. And, and let me just throw out one other thing too. You know, a lot of times people want to make their own travel arrangements, completely understandable. Even mm-hmm. if you do that, go to our website and at least get your ticket, like the admission ticket to go to the Eucharistic Congress through Relevant Radio because it's going to be a discounted rate. And anybody who ends up signing up with Relevant Radio and getting your ticket to the Congress through us, you also get a free copy of a brand new book by Father Rocky, our executive director. Uh, it's it's not even been printed yet. It's going to be printed later this spring or early this mm. summer. It's called Treasures of the Eucharist. So everyone who gets their ticket through Relevant Radio, you automatically get a free copy of that book. Um, so even if you don't travel with Relevant Radio, I hope you do. I hope you're part of our group there together, you know, as we are there with tens of thousands of people. But even if you don't travel with us, make sure you get your ticket to the Congress through our website, again, relevantradio.com, through the Relevant Radio app, or that phone number that you were asking about, Kale, 844-400-9559, Okay, fantastic. Josh Raymond, VP of Programming here at Relevant Radio. Drew Mariani, host of the Drew Mariani Show. He's going to be giving a talk there. I'm going to be broadcasting live there as well. It'll be great to meet you in person, but... One we truly have to connect with, of course, is our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's do it together at the National Eucharistic Congress this July, the 17th to the 21st, 2024. 1-844-400-9559. Don't miss it. Go to the app. Get more information right now. And I'll be right back on The Kale Clark Show. The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome back to the program. We're talking about, well, this is kind of part two of what we started talking about yesterday. When people say to you, hey, I, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. What, what does that really mean? Oftentimes you're looking at somebody who has left the church, and, and there are really three reasons why people do that at the end of the day. Why people say, hey, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. There's really three shifts that people make. Number one, somebody might simply be done, quote-unquote, with organized religion, whether it's the Catholic Church or some other group. I'm done, I'm out, I'm fed up, I've had it. Now, it could be because they have been hurt personally by somebody in the church. It could be because they're disgusted by some of the scandals that have taken place in the church. And let's face it, they're not exactly motives of credibility. So that's the first reason. The second reason that that people uh, give for making this move to being quote-unquote spiritual instead of religious is they might still identify as being Catholic, but they simply pull back involvement. They just don't go to Mass anymore. They're not really praying anymore. This is what I like to call drifting. It's just simply drifting. It has nothing to do with the fast and the furious drifting around the corner. No, they're just drifting away from the Catholic faith. And the, the third reason that people give, according to this, this big study that was done by the psychologist of religion, Julie Exline, the third reason why people will make this move, disengage from their religious community, their church, 
focusing on quote unquote spirituality instead is 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 simply just they're done they they just walk away and they focus on spirituality and they don't formally leave the church per se but they just say i'm now quote unquote spiritual so what does that really mean to be spiritual but not religious we talked about this yesterday we talked about um People still have this longing for spirituality. They're just not finding their needs met in a traditional religious community. For example, they're downloading meditation apps instead of praying. Uh, They are going to yoga classes uh, for spiritual lessons. They are very often participants in 12-step programs like Alcoholics Anonymous, which is great. It helps people get out of addiction. But this is based on Christianity, don't forget. Concerts like T- Taylor Swift's Eras Tour replaces congregational singing. Podcasts replace homilies and teachings. This is where we're at. And, and then, of course, there is trying to connect with God through nature. Some people even go so far as to worship nature, worship Mother Earth. And it is, these are kind of extreme, extreme fringes of the the environmental movement and, and Popes have talked about the need to care for our common home. Pope Benedict, as well as Pope Francis, talked about it as well. People forget that Benedict talked a lot about this. But that's different from worshiping what has been created. And this is nothing more, of course, than idolatry. Paul wrote about this in his letter to the Romans. We just got done this massive series on Romans. It was uh, monumental. Uh, it 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 was a challenge for me. It was probably a challenge for you as well. But we did it. We got through it. And actually, we just started today on the Faith Explained show a new series on Jonah, on the book of Jonah. So take your Lenten journey with Jonah. This is a great book for Lent. This is kind of a mini-series. It's only four parts. But Jonah is far more than just the account of the whale. It's a whale of a book for a lot of reasons. So join us, 1230 Central, for the Faith Explained. If you missed today's first episode of Jonah, check the podcast on the Relevant Radio app, relevantradio.com, wherever you get your podcasts. But when we were looking at Romans at the beginning, we checked out Romans chapter 1. I just want to read a snippet for you. And this is a, another great chapter to meditate on because it's in some ways even fresher today than when it was written. Of course, human beings deal with the same temptations, the same sins over and over and over again. So I just want to read a little snippet from Romans chapter 1 starting with verse 18 when Paul writes, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever 
praised, amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, this is essentially, this is the bad news before Paul gives the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what he's basically saying is that people turned to idolatry. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is forever blessed. Amen. And so this is exactly what happens sometimes when people go this route of, hey, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. And um, there was a caller named, uh, named Paul who wanted to call in yesterday. And he, we, we unfortunately only had an hour, so a lot of people w- didn't get through. But one of the things he wanted to say was that sometimes people just want to have an excuse for living a lifestyle that they know, that they know is not in accord with what God wants. He says, quote, being spiritual is easy, and then they can excuse themselves from any consequences. It makes them sound enlightened. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's true. Um, there's certainly a sense in which a lot of people who take this path saying, I, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual, they do want to escape the moral strictures of the church, and they think they, they, can, they can do that by, by this, I guess you could say, philosophical sleight of hand, but but it is true that people people will try these replacements, whether it's nature. And uh, we, we looked at a piece from Psychology Today where the author went to a national park and walked around a tree three times, kind of a sacred ritual. But even he had to say at the end of this, um, have I got this right? He says, quote, and the, and the author of this piece, by the way, um, was Dr. Andy Tix, T-I-X. And, and he said this. He said, quote, there's plenty of research evidence to show that increasing community and meaning contribute contribute to positive life outcomes, enhanced well-being. I do wonder, though, I do wonder whether these spiritual replacements, quote unquote, could start generating their own doubts and questions for people. For example, what really constitutes a sacred text? Is Harry Potter sufficient? Would, Would poetry or some other text be better? End of quote. So, so really what he's saying there is at, at some point, you've got to ask the question, am I on the right track? If I've left organized religion, if I've left the Catholic Church to embrace quote-unquote spirituality, am I right about this? Or, or, or maybe, just maybe, I'm missing something. How, how can I be sure? And I don't know. This is, um, this is what... Um, well, we have to ask, and he sort of ends off the article by by saying this: "Could I do better than walk around a beautiful tree three times, honestly seeking what is true and good, wherever the process may lead?" And I, I would say yes to that. 
follow the truth wherever it leads. That's exactly what we have to do. That's that's really, really good advice. So this this brings us to this question of, is belief in God a crutch? And so one of the things that they, the, the uh, psychologists have found in their research on this, the psychological reasons why people leave religion and embrace, quote-unquote, spirituality, those who call themselves spiritual but not religious, they overwhelmingly reject the God of the Bible. So 84% of, of people who come from this point of rejecting organized religion, embracing, quote-unquote, spirituality, 84% of them do not believe in the God of the Bible. And I think that might have something to do with the moral opinions, not just opinions, but, but codes, but laws that the God of the Bible has established. Not surprising, but and I would even say that you can't get spirituality without religion. This word religion comes from a Latin term, religare, which means to bind, to bind oneself to another person, to bind oneself to, to God, really. But um, there's other research that's mentioned in the piece that says that if people have, they perceive to have a personal relationship with God. So this is kind of those who do retain their belief in God, those who do maybe still partake in organized Christian bodies of faith. This is what they say, quote, considerable research demonstrates that perceiving a personal relationship with God predicts various psychological benefits, particularly when the relationship is interpreted as secure, when God is thought to be warm, caring, and loving. As the researchers note, individuals may perceive God as an especially powerful source of support. This seems especially true during difficult times when perceived control is low. For example, you feel like you don't have control over what's going on in your life, in the political scene, in the world scene, there's all kinds of chaos going on worldwide, of course, as we know. Also of interest is research that shows how individuals who had difficult childhoods are considerably more likely to have a religious conversion later in life. Maybe because of the security that a perceived relationship with God provides when people otherwise have a history of not feeling safe end of quote so this this sounds an awful lot to me like people saying this is a psychological projection that you're making say you've had a difficult childhood maybe your your own father was not present or or, or if he wasn't absent maybe he was an abusive presence and so when you hear about the god of the bible when you hear that he's a, a loving father he'll take care of you i want that I, I i it's a psychological projection i'm looking at god as a crutch this is often uh sort of something that's volleyed at believers you're just sort of projecting these things so i want to i want to talk about that a little bit what's really behind that statement when people say your god your belief in god is nothing more than an emotional crutch it's a psychological crutch you're listening to the kale clark show on relevant radio first before we get there let, let's take a quick phone call right now let's go to jim in chicago jim welcome to the show yeah hey uh, ever since uh, the catholic church to me is a treasure and to get a valuable treasure you have to go through the maturations of the faith and the catholic faith is such a wide variety of saints i relied on these saints since i was a small boy St. Anthony, and I 
And now I've got a, a, a particular devotion to Teresa of Avila as I get older. But these are saints I discover as I go along the way. And what, as far as psychology is concerned, or crutches are concerned, I don't think there is no substitute for the Catholic faith in my estimation. And I think that uh, that is the way to salvation. And I uh, believe that the Catholic Church uh, is, you know, I believe our Lord instituted the Catholic Church. And um, that's their avenue to get to heaven. My, my, I, I suspect I'll be in purgatory for a while. But anyway, that's <laughs> uh, all. You know, I've it all my life. I appreciated my catechism as a kid. All I remember is I grew up with the Sacred Heart of Jesus was in the in the house and the Blessed Mother and and my point is that the, helped me through a lot of difficulty in life and uh, I yeah. can't imagine being without it. Jim, th- thanks for sharing your experiences there, and I think a lot of people would would say exactly what you what you just did. I can't imagine being without the church. Let's go now to uh, line three, Frank in Philadelphia. Hello, Frank. Hey, Cal. Excuse me. Hi, Cal. Um, hey. You mentioned about um, the crutch. Yeah. When I, first heard, when I first heard that, that's not a bad thing. I mean, I want the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I need it. And if a crutch keeps, if a crutch keeps me more stable, so be it. I mean, I, I function better when I have God in my life, when I believe in God, and when I pray, when I listen to Albert Radio, when I'm at church. There's nothing wrong with having a crutch. That's all I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? I love that perspective, Frank. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Crippled people need crutches, and we need help spiritually. We need help. And and the question is, is is the crutch legitimate, or is this just something that's, that's in our imagination? Is it, is it really real? Uh, but, but yeah, more, more on that later. Frank, you've raised a really important point, so I'm going to get back to that. But thank you so much for calling in, Frank, in Philadelphia. So when people say this to you, by the way, when they say to you, hey, God is nothing more than an emotional crutch. You can't deal with your issues. It's a psychological crush. That same kind of faulty reasoning is behind a lot of other attacks that you might get as a Catholic about your faith life. So here's some other variations on the theme. When people say to you things like, well, you can't really trust the New Testament. The New Testament was obviously written by people who believe in Jesus Christ. They're biased. So, we, we can't we can't really believe these documents. They're written by believers, huh? Um, your belief in one true faith is intolerance. It's intolerant of other perspectives. Well, um, Jesus did say, John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So, I mean, there's that. Some people might say, well, you're you're only you're only a Catholic, or you, you only believe in Jesus Christ because you were born in America. If you were born in India, if you were born in Pakistan, you would probably be a Hindu or a Muslim. So you know, it's, this is just purely accidental. Okay, so really, questions like that, the same issue is behind all of them. It's, it's also behind this question of, isn't God just a crutch for you? And I read a piece by a, an uh, evangelical apologist named Greg Kukul, and he, he talked about this. Really, what's going on here in all of these types of objections, 
they're all about you. I mean, they're all about the individual believer. It's not about what they actually believe in. So this is, it's attacking the person. You can't learn anything about whether or not a belief system is true, whether or not what we believe about God is true. You can't learn anything about that by focusing on the individual believer. This, this is really, really important for us to know. So if somebody says to you, hey, if, if you were born in a Muslim country, you'd probably be a Muslim. You could say to them, yeah, you're probably right about that. You're absolutely right about that. I would, I would agree with that. In all likelihood, that would be the case. I remember once um, when I was sort of going through a massive period of doubt when I was younger, my late high school, university years, I remember asking my mother this, my poor mom, my poor long-suffering mom. Hey, if we, isn't, it, isn't it just an accident of birth that we're Catholic? We happen to be born in this country, happen to be Catholic. What, what if I were, were born in India? I, I, would, I would be a Muslim probably or, or Hindu. Explain this to me. Well, that doesn't answer the question about whether belief in the God of the Bible and the God of the Catholic Church is, in fact, legit. So you, you, can't, you can't say, well, what might have been? That, that has nothing to do with the evidence for the faith. As C.S. Lewis once said, he said, you can only find out the rights and the wrongs by reasoning them out, never by being rude about your opponent's psychology. So if you're saying, yeah, you need this as a crutch, hey, you're simply being rude to this person, but that has nothing to do with whether the faith is true. That's putting the cart before the horse. So you got to ask the question first, you know, is it true? So, so this, this fallacy that's behind all of these doubts when people say God's a crutch for you, it's called the uh, genetic fallacy. That's, that's the specific name for it. And when it comes to this idea of God's a psychological crutch for you, it's, a, it's called the psychogenetic fallacy, the psychogenic fallacy. At any rate, it, it's, it's the same theme. It's the same problem. It's an illegitimate argument, okay? When people say, hey, your psychological state, your cultural condition, your background, your, your, your personal whatever, that's why you believe this, not because of the actual thing itself. So that, that should really raise a red flag in your mind. And there's a German philosopher named uh, Ludwig uh, Feuerbach, and, and he, he was the first person to really say, hey, God is nothing more than a psychological projection. It's a neurosis. It's a placebo, belief in God. It's a crutch. It's religious, wishful thinking. And of course, Freud, Nietzsche, Marx, you know, when he said religion is the opiate of the people, they all kind of picked up on that theme. But, but we're going to talk about why that is not the case right, right now on the, on the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. We've got to take a quick break first. 888 We will be right back. This is the Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the program. 888-914-9149 is the number to call if you want to get in on this discussion. We're looking at the question of, is belief in God just a crutch, just a psychological projection, just a way to get through life, a way to deal with things emotionally? This is the, uh, the charge that's often leveled at Catholics and, and other Christians. But when people ask this question, they're really uh, falling prey to what's called the genetic fallacy. They're dealing with the wrong issue here. And uh, Frank from Philadelphia called in earlier and he said, hey, you know, it is a crutch for me, my, my faith, and I need that crutch. I need it. I, I need that support. 
and I agree here, but the psychological motivations have nothing to do with whether or not the Catholic faith is true. You've got to look at the evidence for it. Someone might say that, hey, we just want a father figure in our lives. Well, we might. We might not. But that has nothing to do with the question of whether or not God exists and whether or not the Catholic faith is true. Again, let's go back to, to C.S. Lewis here. And he, he wrote this in his um, book called God in the Dock. And uh, we talk about God in the Dock. We don't mean that God has a yacht parked somewhere on a slip. You know, no, that, that's, that's the Dock is the witness stand, if you will. It's kind of like putting God on trial. Brilliant book by the brilliant apologist and convert to Christianity, C.S. Lewis. So here's how he put it. He says, quote, suppose I think that after doing my accounts, you know, he's doing some accounting here, that I have a large balance at the bank. And suppose you want to find out whether this belief of mine is wishful thinking. Well, you can never come to any conclusion by examining my psychological condition. Your only chance of finding out, does he really have a large bank balance, is to sit down and work through the numbers yourself, work through the sum yourself. If you find my arithmetic wrong, then it may be relevant to explain psychologically how I came to be so bad at arithmetic, but only after you have done, if you yourself have added up the numbers, you've done the sum, you've discovered me to be wrong on purely mathematical grounds. In other words, you must show that a man is wrong before you start explaining why he is wrong. End of quote. That is so well said by C.S. Lewis. People who say your God is a crutch, you're just depending on him for your emotional needs, this is an evasion of the true argument. Does God really exist? And you have to look at the reasons for this, the evidence for faith. Not talk about you know, what, what, my, what my desire, what, what your desire might be to use God as a crutch. Is it real? Is the crutch real? I think is, is, is the big question. So let's look at the, the reasons here. So, yeah, your motivation might be, yeah, you need it. You have real needs. You have real emotional needs. You have real spiritual needs. But what are you doing with those needs? We talked about those who are not religious but spiritual. They're going to meditation apps instead of prayer. They're going to podcasts instead of homilies. They're doing all kinds of things. They're going to the forest and tree-hugging instead of going to their local Catholic parish. So the question is, what are the reasons behind this? What are the reasons behind your belief? So it can, it can be, um, as Greg Kukul says, it can be intellectual bullying to simply say things like, your God is a crutch. Don't just assume that I'm wrong and just kind of lay that at my feet. Look, look, at, the, look at the evidence first. I think he's also right. Kukul also says that this is this is so embedded in our political discourse, this genetic fallacy. And we've seen this over the last couple of days with the announcement uh, by the Alabama Supreme Court um, uh, treating these, these fertilized embryos as children, as real human persons. And I, I've read a lot of discourse from those on the political spectrum, let's say on the on the on the left side of the spectrum, let's say, and they they have used terms like this is pandering to the religious right. Uh, these are this is driven by religious extremism. So people will say this, but that has no, they have not answered the question of was this decision correct? Are fertilized embryos actually persons? And I would say yes. I would say absolutely yes. We'll have to we'll have to talk about that 
maybe tomorrow because we're we're almost out of time here again. But this is this is this genetic fallacy. We see this all the time. We're going to see this argument pop up a lot during the political discourse of twenty twenty four. At any rate, uh, something to think about here. We don't want to fall into this uh, fallacy. But at the end of the day, I think Frank is right, Frank in Philadelphia. If somebody wants to say, hey, your Catholic faith, your belief in Christ is a crutch, I would actually agree with that because we are spiritually broken. We need crutches in order to stand. Uh, But there are reasons why we, we pick up this particular crutch, which is really in the form of a cross. Our crutch is the cross. It's the Catholic faith. And we pick up this cross because we believe that the faith is true. There is good evidence, good solid warrant for us to believe this. So the cross can hold us up. This this crutch can hold us up. We can trust our lives. And uh, I think that's really important. Let's go to the phones right now. Let's go to Bob in Sacramento on line four. Hello, Bob. Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah, I sure can. You're on the air. Yeah, so, uh, well, in the time I've been holding about a million things have come up, but the first quick one I'll give you is, you know, as Catholics, I'm not sure that we have to have ready-made answers for every question that comes up for us, because there's a part of uh, answering people's critiques or people's concerns or people's questions that has to do with the discernment process. Mm -hmm. For example, we have the notion of uh, throwing pearls at swines. So if somebody comes up to me and asks me a question that's pointed like that, the question becomes, wait a minute, does this lead to a fruitful conversation, or do I have to have a ready-made answer for these kinds of people? Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. The other thing that I wanted to mention, though, real important, uh, because you're talking about this notion of what, what do people think about this notion of God being a crutch and that sort of thing. You know, we have been woefully inadequate literally for decades, and maybe you can even say generations now, about the notion of faith formation and spiritual direction. I've been working for a Catholic organization for 15-plus years, and if I get into conversations with people where we talk about our Catholic faith or the journey of faith or a person's journey generally, the single most uh, frequently asked question over that time is, what's that? spiritual? Did you say spiritual direction? What is that? Where Mm. can I get one of those? (laughs) <laughs> so my point is, a lot of this stems from the fact that people are not being formed properly no, or no well question. or catechized well or properly, and people don't even know their faith, let alone having ready answers for people who might challenge them on their faith. So yeah. uh, I would wish and hope and pray that our leadership in Holy Mother Church, particularly the bishops, if they're listening, would make a concerted effort to, to come up with actual faith formation programs, actual catechesis, and actual s- development of spiritual directors so that people would have places where they could go to be shepherded. That's yeah, pretty Bob, much Bob, what I wanted to say. I, I, yeah, Bob, you raised some really great points there, and, and I agree with that. And when it comes to spiritual direction, a lot of people don't even know where to start. That's one of the reasons why we have a show called The Inner Life, which is really all about spiritual direction on, on relevant radio. And, and callers can call into that program at least to get started, and we can get you connected with a list of spiritual directors that we know across the USA. But I, I agree with you 100%. With respect to this question of throwing pearls before swine, sometimes you will, and it takes a little bit of discernment. It, it, when somebody asks you a question like that, are they really looking for an answer? Are they looking for a fight? One one of the rules that I have on this type of thing is I don't engage with these discussions in groups of people. Uh, if you're like say the only Catholic amongst you, if you're at a dinner party and everybody's kind of you know firing arrows at you, what about this? What about that? That that usually is not 
going to lead to to anywhere you want to go spiritually. Um, it's possible it could, but I'm all about those one-on-one conversations. If somebody is truly interested and they really want to know, they really want to talk about this, and they're not just grandstanding, then, yeah, I will talk to you all day about this stuff if you're truly seeking. And, and that takes wisdom, and that takes, of course, in the context of relationship, friendship, confidence, trust. I, I think that's there is a place for mass evangelism, of course. Um, we're kind of doing it every day at Relevant Radio. But, but I do think that a lot of people are convinced by not only the answers that they get from their friends, but the witness of their friends to, to the faith, because they can see the effects in their lives. It's very tangible to them. So really good points to raise, Bob, for sure. And I thank you for that phone call. And we're out of time again. These hours go so quickly on the K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio, but we'll be back again tomorrow so you can call in once more. Don't forget to uh, download the new episode from The Faith Explained. It's our quick Lenten series on the book of Jonah, four-part series, our Lenten journey with Jonah. First episode dropped today on The Faith Explained. Download it on the relevant radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. And also any episode this, uh, of The Kale Clark Show, they are all there for you as well. Keep it locked on Relevant Radio. Trending is coming up next, followed by The Family Rosary Across America with Father Rocky. Jim Shaper produced. Miranda Sinaceros took your phone calls. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.